you are approaching the high point of the day. It is going to be Mincha and then Ne'ilah, which is the prayer in which we beseech God as we visualize the gates of Shamayim closing, we beseech Hashem to accept our prayers of Tshuva. And is at that point, when we are entering into Mincha and Yom Kippur, the high point arguably of the entire year in terms of our connection and our desperately trying to connect to God. And it is at that point that we read Sefer Yonah. Sefer Yonah. Sefer Yonah is this strange story of a Navi who doesn't seem like too committed of a Navi because when given instructions by Hashem, he runs away from Hashem's instructions. And as we are going to read and learn, Yonah then ends up being thrown off a ship because he tried to run away. And then he's swallowed up by a fish. There is some beautiful artwork that has been created of Yonah in the belly of the fish. But for our purposes, it's very strange to talk about Yonah in the belly of the fish. Yonah is then spit out from the fish. He ends up going on his original mission. And at the end of the story, we end with an entire episode of where Hashem plants a tree for Yonah, takes the tree away. Yonah becomes upset. Hashem gets upset at Yonah for being upset about losing the tree. And then we conclude with, and this is a great message of Chuba. What is going on here? What we are going to do over the next four sessions, again, tonight, tomorrow night, next Tuesday, and next Wednesday, is we are going to delve into what is this extremely strange story. And why is it that at the high point of Yom Kippur, again, Mincha, to Ne'ilah, those final moments before Shari Shamayim close, we are reading this story of Yonah. Now, let me just resend the source sheet for anyone who may have not received it. Hold on one second. Okay, the source sheet is now again in the chat. So why are we reading Sefer Yonah at this high point of Yom Kippur? What is Sefer Yonah? Besides for this extremely strange story that we are going to say includes even more strange details, Sefer Yonah is one of the Nevi'e Triasar, which is 12, um, 12 mini Nevi'im that are all combined into one larger Sefer called Triasar. Originally, this is because they were each written on very small scrolls, each separate Sefer or each set of nevuot were written on separate scrolls. And had they been kept individually like that, because the scrolls were so small, they would have been lost. So instead of keeping them as small individual sfarim, we combine them into the triasar, into these 12 small nevim. Some of the sfarim are as small as three prakim. So we combine them all into this safer triasar in order that they shouldn't be lost. And one of them, arguably the most famous, is Sefer Yonah because it gets this star spot on Yom Kippur afternoon. So with that, let's begin. Why are we reading it on the afternoon of Yom Kippur? One of the first suggestions that is given is that the the book of Yonah serves as a reminder that everything is in the hands of God. Natural forces, human beings, everything is under the control of Hashem. Then at the end of the Sefer, we are going to learn about the Kikayon plant. This is a plant that Hashem plants for Yonah in order to give him shade. And Hashem, once Yonah does not appreciate it, Yonah, or once Hashem finds that it needs to be taken away, Hashem takes it away from Yonah. This message of Hashem can give and Hashem can take away is something that we must internalize as we are sitting there on Yom Kippur afternoon. 
that we are in this moment where we feel that we are so vulnerable before Hashem, that Hashem is completely in control of our lives. And we very much so feel it in that moment that we are begging Hashem in that moment that he should sustain us for another year. And at that moment, it is appropriate to read this Sefer of Yonah in which we are so tangibly reminded of the fact that Hashem conducts everything that goes on in the world. So that is the first suggestion, that this is a Sefer that very much emphasizes the control that Hashem has over the world. And therefore, we are reading it on the afternoon of Yom Kippur when we feel so strongly this control of Hashem. Another explanation that is brought in the Mishnah in Mesechah Brachot is that the time of the afternoon Mincha service is believed to be especially um, poignant for having prayers answered. That as we said, Ne'ilah is when we are throwing our strongest prayers up to Hashem. And it is this time that we are on Yom Kippur afternoon that we feel it is an extremely strong Zman Tfilah. This is a very, very important time for davening. And in Yonah, we see the power of prayer. That when Yonah is in the belly of the fish, Yonah calls out to Hashem and he davens and he davens for Hashem to let him go. And therefore, this Sefer in which we see the strong power of prayer is one that we should read at a time when there is an incredible opportunity for prayer. Because what better time to remind ourselves how effective prayer can be than at the time exactly that we need it most. So those are two suggestions that are given. But the most common suggestion is brought down, I brought you two examples of where it is brought down, but it is brought in many sources, both in the Beis Yosef, as I brought you here, and in the Mishnah and Masechah's Tainus. The Beis Yosef in Orachayim says, Why do we read three aluyo from the Parsha of Arayo? We read about the forbidden relationships, the Maftir Biyona, and the Maftir of Sefer Yona. Um, so why do we read the partial of Arayo? Why do we read about the illicit relationships? Because our, our nefesh, our being strongly desires. We have a strong Yitzhar Hara for Arayo. For sexual relationships, we have a very strong Yitzhar Hara. We have a very strong evil inclination. And therefore, at this time where we are trying to do a full shuva we must remind ourselves the areas in which that is most difficult. Why is it the maftir biyona? And why do we read the maftir of Sefer Yona? Because this is a Sefer that shows us the strength and our opportunity to do chuba. The Mishnah Mesachas Tainis tells us, how should we carry out a fast day? It is going through the order of how we should conduct ourselves on fast days. And it's saying that we should put ashes on the heads of the, um, the Nasi, the prince, and the Rosh of Bistin. And everyone should put ashes on their heads. And the eldest among them should stand up in front of them, but it is not his words that should be emphasized. Because by Anshi Ninveh, and now this is bringing an example from Sefer Yonah, by Anshi Ninveh, it doesn't talk about the fact that they spoke. Rather, rather that Hashem saw their actions. Ella, 
Rather, we see in Yonah that Hashem says that he saw their actions in Ninveh. And in Kabbalah, we also receive um, other where, other in another place in the text, in Sefer Yoel, where it says, that you should tear your clothes and your heart, that you really have to do actions of tshuva. So here again, in the Sechus Tainus, it's also telling us that this is a Sefer that is a prime example of tshuva. That when we want to learn how to do tshuva later on, we are going to look back at Sefer Yonah in order to be that example for us. So yes, this is a Sefer that reminds us of Hashem's role and Hashem's control over everything in the world. And this is also a Sefer that teaches us the strength and power of tefillah. But most importantly, what is emphasized again and again and again is that this Sefer is an example of tshuva for us, that we are really meant to learn great lessons of tshuva from Sefer Yonah. So now this is going to bring us to a number of questions. And the major question that I want to frame this evening with, that I want to delve into Parak Aleph with, is why are we using Sefer Yonah? And we are going to point out in the, in the next, over the next, next number of minutes, why is this such a great example of Chuba? There are so many things that would indicate that maybe this isn't the best example of Chuba. First and foremost, the people of Ninveh aren't Jewish. Aren't there enough stories of Jews who did Chuba? Why do we have to seek outside of the Jewish people for the example of Chuba that we are going to use not at any time during the year? We're not going to read it one of the Shabbosim leading up to Rosh Hashanah. Rather, we are going to say this is the primary example of Chuba. This is going to be the best possible thing that we can read at the moment that we need to be stirred to tshuva the most. What makes Sefer Yonah so perfect for this circumstance? And that's what we're going to look at over the rest of this year. So with that, we are going to enter into Parak Aleph. And within Parak Aleph, we are going to begin to answer these questions. So what actually happens in Sefer Yonah, Parak Aleph? Hashem al Yonah ben Amitai Lemor. Hashem spoke to Yonah ben Amitai, saying, Get up and go to the, to the um, land of Nineveh. This is a great land. Get up before them and say that their evil has risen before me, that they have do, done too many bad things. So Yonah decides, rather than listening to Hashem and going to Ninveh, he is going to run away to Tarshish. Hashem, he is going to run away from Hashem. And he goes down to Yafo. And he sees a boat that is going to Tarshish. So, perfect, he goes to Yafo, he sees a boat that is headed for Tarshish, he decides he pays his fare, and he gets on the boat, and he is going to head to Tarshish, and he is going to run away from Hashem. But when Yonah is on this boat, all of a sudden Hashem sends a large wind, and it starts up a great storm on the boat. And the boat seems like it's going to break. So 
So what happens? The storm gets so bad that all of the sailors begin throwing things off of the boat. They're trying to lessen their burden and they start screaming out to their gods. They immediately start praying. They're in need of immediate salvation. But what does Jonah do? Jonah decides to go take a nap. He goes down to the lower level of the ship and he lays down for a rest and he falls asleep. Someone goes down and finds Jonah sleeping and says, excuse me, what do you think you are doing sleeping right now? Please wake up and please start calling out to your God as we are all calling out to our gods. Maybe your God will be able to save us and we won't be lost. And each person says to their friend, At the same time, the other shipmen, the other sailors, decide and they turn to each other and they say, you know what, let's do a lottery. We are going to do a lottery. Maybe the lottery will indicate to us who is responsible for this terrible storm that is afflicting us. So they set up a goral, they set up this lottery, and they pull out the name of Yonah. They come to Yonah, and they say, hi, excuse me again. Um, can you please tell us why all of this bad thing, these bad things are happening to us? What is your job? And where did you come from? What land do you come from? What nation are you from? The Yomer Aleim, and he says to them, Ivri Anochi, I am a Jew. And I fear the God of the Jews. That God, the one who created the world, the one who created the land and the sea, that is my God. The people on the ship were very afraid. And they say, what is it that you did? But the Pasuk indicates to us and says, but the people were already afraid because he had already told them that he is in the process of running away from Hashem. What should we do to you that will make the sea stop attacking us? Because this water is too choppy. We're not going to survive this. So uni the hitilani el hayam, veishokayam alechem, kiodeani kibish bishaliha saar hagadol hazalechem. So he says, Oh, what you need to do is you need to toss me into the ocean. And he says, And then the water will calm down because it is because of me, because I have run away from Hashem, that Hashem brought this tremendous storm upon you. The people say, that's a little bit crazy. Let's just try to go back ashore. But they weren't able to. Rather, the ocean continued to hit up against them. So they call up to Hashem of the Jewish people and they say, we are going to throw him into the water. We don't know what else to do. Please don't let it be that we spilled innocent blood. Like, please let it be that this was for something and please stop the storm accordingly. So they picked up Yonah and they threw Yonah into the water. And it was at that point that they 
the, the sea calmed down and there was no more turbulence. The people had a tremendous fear at this point of Hashem and they, they gave karbono to Hashem and they made um, different vows to Hashem. This is an extremely strange parak. And what I want to do, rather than picking apart all of the points right now of this is strange and this is strange and this is strange, what I want to do is I want to delve into a piece from the Abarbanel. Now, this is a very long piece, but we are going to go piece by piece. Don't worry. We'll all, we'll all do this together. But I want to go through this piece in the Abarbanel, in which the Abarbanel is sort of having a discussion. And within this discussion, he lays out six questions on Parak Aleph. And through these six questions, we are going to be able to point out what is the purpose of Parak Aleph and how is this going to frame the rest of the Sefer for us. So if everyone's ready, we're going into the source sheets. We are starting on this Abarbanel. So the Abarbanel starts off. This original Nevuah begin, begins with the first words of the Sefer. These are the words of Hashem to Yonah. Until Hashem is going to speak to Yonah again. There are two sections in Sefer Yonah. So he lays out, this is the length of the book. This, this is where the book can be divided into two sections. And then he says, and I have six questions based on this first nivua. So, what is the first question? The first question is what Hashem says to Yona. Get up and go to Nineveh. Please go to the city of Nineveh. This is a great city. And I want you to go before them. And I want you to tell them. Excuse me. That they have done too much wrong. The first question in the Barbanel is, Ninveh is a non-Jewish city. Why in the world does it matter to Hashem that this city of non-Jewish people is sinning to him? Why is it not only important to Hashem that Hashem would himself do something to the people of Ninveh, but rather that Hashem would use his limited resources. Hashem would send Yonah, one of his faithful Nevi'im, to the city of Nineveh in order to awaken them to do tshuva. Not only does Hashem have hashkachal that he pays attention to exactly what is happening with the people of Nineveh, but rather he has such, such direct hashkachal over the city of Nineveh that he wants to help them correct their situation, that he is willing to send out one of his personnel in order to correct them. So why does it matter so much to Hashem, the city of Nineveh? The Lona, and isn't this something that is typically seen to be specific to Am Yisrael, that Hashem has such specific hashkacha over us? Why are we being specifically brought the story of the tshuva of a non-Jewish nation? 
אמנם שאר האומות, אם תחה ממשלת המשטרים, אשר חלק השמותם לכל העמים, ולכן היו בעם ישראל נביאים שהם כלי השם, ושליחותם להוכיחם לישרם, לא עסקים לכל גוי, בפרט שהשם only does this service, quote unquote, for the Jewish people that they're doing something wrong, and he sends out a Navi to help them correct the situation. Why then is Hashem sending this out, this resource out to Nineveh as well? And why is this specifically the story and the information that is brought to us here? The Barbanel goes on and says, Hashem didn't do this in any of the other Galiot. Hashem didn't send the Navi to correct them in Mitzrayim. Even when Moshe comes before Paro, Moshe isn't telling them to change their ways. Moshe is just saying, let my people go. With Bavel, we don't see this happen. We don't see this happen with any of the other Galuyos. So what exactly is happening here that Hashem is specifically bringing us a story of Nineveh? Wouldn't it be more relatable if it was a story from within Am Yisrael? So the second question is, What was Yonah thinking? I remember even learning Sefer Yonah for the first time as a young child and thinking, you can't run away from Hashem. What is Yonah thinking? Yonah is a Navi. He is someone who not only knows Hashem exists, but directly feels Hashem's presence. He communicates directly with Hashem. He thinks he can run away from Hashem. This makes absolutely no sense. So Chazal gave us two explanations for this second question. As we're going to see, some of the questions he leaves completely open-ended until the end. But certain questions, there are suggestions shared as well. The first is that Yonah kind of knew that Ninveh would do tshuva if he were to go. He didn't want to make B'nai Israel look bad. That if He knew that if he went to Ninveh, they were going to easily do tshuva. And then this would obligate B'nai Israel to listen to Hashem as well. So the rest of this first explanation is the, the, the non-Jews were easily going to do tshuva. So he didn't want to make the Jewish people look bad in comparison to them. But this is a very weak reason, says the Abarbanel, because perhaps when the people of Ninveh did tshuva, the Jews would then also stop their sin. Like you never know what the impact of one person doing tshuva is going to be on someone else. But it's possible. Maybe Hashem wanted Yonah to go to Ninveh. The story of Ninveh would get out that, look, wow, a Navi got there and immediately upon getting there, called upon them to do tshuva and they did a complete 360. They completely turned around and they were going to, and they did tshuva. Maybe this incredible example of tshuva would be a paradigm to B'nai Yisrael for how to do tshuva as well. As we see, we talked about that it is today. So who is to say that... Um, Excuse me, sorry. Why? It's very hard to say that this was really Yona's reason because Yona knew that all these possible outcomes could happen. That really um, they would awaken B'nai Israel to do tshuva after doing their own tshuva, or rather that because Hashem already had rachamim on them, Hashem would call the Chomer have new, more rachamim on his own people. So this first explanation doesn't really make sense. 
The second explanation, Vehatam Habet, Amrusha Chashash Yunos, Shabishuvan Shinin Veil Hashem, Yeshuv Hashem Micharunapo, Vislachahem, Vehanchinin Veyomru, Yona Badai Huhanavi Shekar Haya. The second explanation is that why would Yona even consider running away? Excuse me, and he only considered run. He con- he ran away because he thought, "Look what's going to happen. I'm going to come to Ninveh, and I'm going to say Hashem is going to destroy you. You must do tshuva." And then you know what's going to happen? They're going to do tshuva, and then Hashem is going to forgive them, and nothing is going to happen to them. But to the outsider, what are they going to see? They're going to see that Yonah gave over a nevuah, and that what he said was going to happen, which was that Hashem was going to destroy the city of Ninveh did not end up happening. So there is the potential that they are going to think and believe that Yonah is a Navi Shaker. However, the Abarbanel has a few questions on this and he says, and so what? Who cares? Who cares if they think he's a Navi Shaker? They clearly don't because they listen to him to begin with. So why would they listen to him to begin with, but then post facto accuse him of being a Navi Shaker? And additionally, he says, okay, this is the Abarbanel speaking and sort of refuting his own questions or trying to answer his own questions. And the Abarbanel says, okay, so if they accuse him of being a Navi Shaker, who cares? The, the, whatever process he will go through for being, having been accused of being a Navi Shaker and having to prove that this is not correct, the opposite, which is that now he has run away from Hashem, is much, much more punishable in the eyes of Hashem than now he has run away from Hashem. So what if a group of non-Jewish people accuse him of being a, a Navi Shekhar? It doesn't make much sense that he was willing to sacrifice who knows what else um, in order to maintain that he is not a Navi Shekhar. This doesn't seem like it really should be a priority in the eyes of Yonah, especially to the extent that he is now willing to run away from Hashem. This does not make more sense. But I do think that this idea of running away, this idea that really doesn't make sense from Yonah's perspective, like why should, what is Yonah doing here? He knows that Hashem has hashkacha in every area and that Hashem can see everyone and that Hashem knows everything. So then that, then what is the point of bringing down that he ran away? And again, we have not yet answered that. But I think that just as a side point, This idea that Yonah runs away is something that very much humanizes him. That I think sometimes we look at our Nevi'im and our prophets and our forefathers and our foremothers, and we see how perfect they were. That this is an individual on a very high level who is able to converse with God, who is able to receive direct communication from Hashem. And they seem so supernatural. They seem so far beyond what we can ever imagine and let alone what we can ever do. But I think Yonah brings a human aspect. Then I think if you, if you look in your source sheets and we compare Avraham and Yonah, we see that Yonah really is made out to be this very normal person. They guess he does something crazy. Normal people don't try to run away from Hashem. But there does seem to be this idea that we want to humanize Yonah. So how do we see this in the comparison with Avraham Avinu? Avraham, who is, of course, one of our original Nevi'im. 
And we see that when it comes to Avram Avinu, and I brought it here for you specifically in English, so that you can see very specifically in the language, the difference between the language used with Avraham and the language that is used with Yonah. When it comes to Avraham, and the Lord appeared to him by the, by the gates of Mamre, as he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. And he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men stood over him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door. Later on, when he is now going to be preparing the food, he uses many words repeatedly, like hastened, make ready quickly, ran and hastened. Abraham is not one who is sitting around. Rather, even three days after his bris milah, that he gave to himself at the age of 99, he is out there seeking out guests that he constantly wants to be helping other people. Um, And that is what we see over and over again with Avraham. That Avraham, it it says when he went to prepare the food, he hastened and he made ready quickly and he hastened and he ran. And over and over again with Avraham, we're hearing that he ran and he ran and he ran. That this shows his excitement. This shows how much he wants to do Ratzon Hashem. And later on, when it says, and it came to pass after these things, and God did prove it to Avram and said unto him, Avram, and he said, here am I. Avraham is extremely present. Wherever Hashem is in need of him at that moment, he is there. And he said, take now my son, thine only son, whom thou lovest, even Isaac, and get thee to the land of, of Haramuriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering. Even when Hashem here is commanding, um, is commanding Avraham, about the Akidas Yitzchak, that he is going to be offering up his only son as a karban to Hashem. And Avram rose early in the morning, even during that situation, this crazy, crazy situation that Hashem has now told him, sacrifice his dear beloved son. It still says that Avraham got up quickly. He rose early in the morning. He was so eager to fulfill Ratzon Hashem. that this is definitely way, way beyond what we can imagine as human beings. That is human being that's so unrelatable to us. What you're going to run, not only are you going to sacrifice your son, but you are going to run and wake up early in the morning to sacrifice your son. This is not something that we can really understand. However, when you hear about Yonah, on the other hand, who the language that is used is to flee unto Tarshish, that he wanted to run away. And then that he went down. And that he went down and this language of went down is used. And, but Jonah was gone down into the innermost part of the shed. He is constantly getting lower and lower. And I think that one lesson for us from here is that why did Jonah run away? Because he's human, because he was afraid for whatever reasons that we said, even if these reasons were really weren't significant, but For these reasons, it makes Jonah human. It makes us realize that there are other motivations that are simply that he doesn't want to do it. That if you're going technically and you're saying, oh, maybe it was this reason, maybe it was this reason, like, I'm just not so sure that Jonah was thinking it through so clearly. So rather, it keeps saying that Jonah went down and Jonah has struggles and Jonah is a human. Jonah is someone that we then can therefore learn from. Because unlike Avram Avinu, whose personality traits are so beyond what we can imagine, are so far perfected that we'll never be able to emulate him. Rather, at this time specifically of Tshuva, we are being reminded that why did Yonah run away? Because he's human and he was scared and he was anxious and he was nervous. 
So with that, we don't have an answer as to why Yona ran away, but we can start to understand why it would be brought down to us. So now we're on to the third question. The next question is on the sailors, which is that they did a goral, they did They did a goral, they did a lottery, but, and it says, But it's saying, okay, so they set up this whole goral, but why? Aren't storms a normal, natural thing when you're on a boat? Like, why are they so concerned to the extent that now, now they are going to do a goral? And he says, and even if they are totally convinced that they need to do a goral, that this is something supernatural, that they need to figure out where it came from. Um, that even if they're going to do that, like why a goral? A goral is so inaccurate that like maybe they're going to end up with the wrong information. And we see that that is something they're nervous about because they dive into Hashem and they say, please let it be that we didn't spill innocent blood. That this third question is like, why, first of all, were they even concerned about this storm? And second of all, why did they choose to do a goral to rectify it? Something that is so, so unreliable. And now we are up to the fourth question. So, so far we have, why is it an example from a non-Jewish nation? The second question is, why did Yona run away? The third question is, that why did the sailors even care about this storm? That this really should be happening all the time. So now we are up to Sheilah Haravit, the fourth question. so the next one is why when the sailors come to Yona, they've already picked him out of the goral. They already know this is his problem. Why are they then asking him such specific questions? Everything seems so repetitive. Like they're asking where he's from. They ask where we're from. Um, and so if they know what Yona did, and it says that Yona already told them, but yet they ask afterwards. So they, if they already know, not only why did this conversation occur, but why is this conversation recorded? Like, why is that at all important to us? Next up, we have two more questions. And the fifth question, when the sailors come to Yona and they say, what should we do? Can you call out to Hashem? And he volunteers himself straight up. He says, oh, throw me into the water and everything will be back to normal. Well, the question that Barbanel is asking here, he knows exactly what he has to do in order to get out of this situation. He just, um, 
He just needs to admit what he did wrong. He needs to do shuba, and then all of this would be forgiven. Why then, instead of saying, okay, I know I did this wrong and preparing an apology, why does Yonah say, why don't you throw me into the ocean? Like he knows exactly what area he needs to do tshuva and he knows he's in the process of running away from Hashem. Why then would he say, just throw me into the ocean? That doesn't make any sense. Couldn't he just do tshuva? This seems like he's not really changing at all. He happens to be driving, uh, driving, excuse me. Um, he happens to be traveling to Nineveh, but he knows exactly why to Tarshish, I'm running away there, but he knows exactly why he's going there. He knows this is not just a vacation. Rather, he knows that he's in the process of running away from Hashem. This is a secret to the sailors, but this is not a secret to him. So therefore, why does he say, just throw me into the ocean? Why doesn't he just at that point decide to do tshuva? And last but not least, the sixth question. The last question is, we already said, why use non-Jewish people? Why would Yonah run away from Hashem? Why, once he ran away, why did the sailors think there was anything peculiar here? Why why then did they decide to use a lottery? Why did they ask Yonah where he is from if he already knows, they already know what he's doing there? Why does Yonah say, throw me into the ocean, rather than just saying, I'm going to do tshuva? And lastly, um, it's saying, why did Hashem save Yonah? That, okay, Yonah did something wrong, something incredibly, incredibly wrong. He ran away from Hashem or attempted to run away from Hashem. And we know that there is no such thing as running away from Hashem, that Hashem knows everything. But the fact that he tried to run away from Hashem, why does Hashem save him? Why does Hashem have the fish spit him out? Why does he have the fish spit him out? Why is he going to save Yehuda? Um, sorry, why is he going to save Yonah? Yonah definitely, sorry, I mixed up the names. Yonah definitely deserves to be killed within the fish. He ran away from Hashem. He is a Navi who has left his position. So why then does Hashem save Yonah? So we have all of these questions within Parak Aleph of why Ninveh, why Yonah, why is Yonah running away, why do they use a lottery, why are the sailors asking him so many questions, why does Hashem ultimately save Yonah, and this is what we are dealing with within Parak Aleph. So now the Abarbanel gives a little bit of an answer. I don't think that it completely and 100% answers every nuance of every question. Rather, I do think that it gives us great insight. The point of... the point of this nevuah is what we um sorry 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 hakavanao kolalatan buahazot hilo hudia sha atata shamlo lam ta amor 
The point of this nevuah is to tell us that the word of Hashem lasts forever. Hashem's word never goes away. Once they recognize and they remember that their nevuah comes all the way from the beginning of time and it will last as far into the future. We say that what we learned here in Parakyona is that the word of Hashem doesn't go away forever, that we must believe in the Nevuah of the Nevi'im that will that already happened and that will come in the future. That we learn from Yonah, that Yonah was sent on a mission to bring the people of Nineveh, not the people of the Jewish nation, back to Tshuva. And that Yonah did not want to go out to give his nevuah. So why did Yonah um, not want to go to Ninveh? Why did he even try to run away? Because he saw the terrible galuyus that were going to happen to B'nai Israel, the terrible things that were going to happen to B'nai Israel um, because of Ashur, like because of the people that you were going to be saving here, what bad was coming to come, going to come to the Jewish people. So what is the point? What is the overarching answer to all of these questions? Is that Hashem runs the world. So... How does this answer all of our questions? The first question is, why use Ninveh? And it's saying that Hashem's koach of Rahmanas, that Hashem's ability to have mercy on people extends even beyond his nation. That it extends even to the people of Ninveh. And now you might say, why, why did Yonah run away? And it's saying he saw the terrible people that were going to come from Ashur and the pain that they were going to cause to Bnei Israel. And therefore, he ran. And we say, He knew all the bad that was going to come to Ashur. From Ashur, he couldn't see them. So um, And that's why he wasn't able to go and he wasn't able to give his nevuah to these people. So why then we get to the question of why did the um, sailors think that there was something strange going on here? So why did they think that this Sa'ara was unusual? 
They didn't necessarily think that the storm was unusual, but it was that once Yonah informed them of what he was doing, they very immediately recognized that this was coming from Yonah. But then why were they specifically um, concerned about this if they already knew what Yonah had done? And I think as we go on more, and the Abarbanel does go on and on, and I t- he talks a lot about the Shvatim that Yonah is from and how they parallel and what happens in this story. But I think that the overarching theme of this Abarbanel is that Hakol Biyad Hashem, that everything is in the hands of Hashem. And I think usually we associate it with things sort of like this, like who lives and who dies, who is successful, who is not successful, who is able to... Um, accomplish something and who is not able to accomplish something that is all up to Hashem. However, I believe that Sefer Yonah and specifically Parak Aleph comes along and honestly makes very little sense. It's very strange. There are things that are repetitive. There are so many things that seem seemingly unnecessary. It's just a strange Parak. And I believe that the importance in presenting us with this very strange parak to honestly just start off a very strong sefer is because it highlights the divinity behind the entire story and behind the entire concept of tshuva. That if we think about it this way, tshuva is very much not so the idea of tshuva that we had when we were little. That we think when we get to every year, we sit back and we think about what it is that we did wrong. That we say, oh, I took this from my sibling, and I was loud here, and I was disrespectful here, and I didn't follow the rules here. And we think about everything we did wrong, and we quickly, in our minds, we say, oh, we're not going to do it again, we're not going to do it again, we're not going to do it again, we're not going to do it again. However, that's not how tshuva works. That's a very childish impression of tshuva, that we do something wrong, we ask Hashem, we say, please forgive me, and then Hashem forgives us. Rather, this parak is showing us the divinity behind everything that happens. That why Ninveh? Because Hashem can. And why did Yonah run away? Because Hashem caused him to run away. And why did the sailors care specifically about this storm? Because Hashem made them care. And why did they use a goral? A goral that can be so faulty, uh, um, that really has so much of a chance of leading to the wrong outcome because Hashem is in charge. This is not human beings in charge. This is Hashem in charge. And I think that all of the small details of this parak and all of the questions that the environment I'll point out point us in that direction. That though we may think something should be one way, Hashem is involved. Hashem is behind the entire process and Hashem is conducting it so that it should go a different way. And the purpose of Hashem conducting it a different way is that we should recognize that Hashem is involved in the situation. In Song of Tshuva, Rav Moshe, Rav Moshe Weinberger's commentary on Rav Kook's Urota Tshuva, he says a beautiful point about Tshuva. He says, although Tshuva is the mighty engine that drives the world, people have the immature idea that it is merely a makeshift measure implemented to rectify sin. That it is as if you do something wrong, you put in a quarter, you turn the machine, and out comes forgiveness. Thus, even after a person has engaged in tshuva, he can slip back into committing sins because he views the tshuva not as a holistic way of being, but as a temporary cure, a specific lotion to treat a specific wound. There are Moshe Weinberger is saying that people have a very immature version of, of tshuva, that we think of tshuva as very transactional. We do something wrong. We ask Hashem for forgiveness and Hashem forgives us. 
This is a constricted way of looking at spiritual illness, of not realizing that it has cosmic significance and that the prescription is thus also cosmically significant. Tshuva is not an anecdote for a specific element, it is a permanent feature of creation. Some people are not ready for the opportunity of tshuva because they think of it as a favor that God bestows, like a person throwing a bone to a dog, and feel unworthy of taking this gift. Rav Cook teaches that tshuva is much more than a gift for downtrodden and miserable people. Tshuva is the life energy of existence itself. It is a permanent fixture in creation from the beginning to the end of time. Sefer Yonah is going to be our paradigm of tshuva. And in order to have this paradigm of tshuva, we have to break down all expectations or things that we think should or could happen. We have to look at tshuva as something so much more complex and something that is so divinely conducted. That as Rav Cook says beautifully here, that it is a permanent feature of creation. That it's not that sin happened and therefore we had to improvise. We had to bend on the plan and we had to come up with punishments. Rather, we see in the Torah, as soon as we are given the mitzvah, we are, we are given as well the information how to deal with it. That we are told what we should and shouldn't do, and we are told of the consequences as well. But tshuva, we have to recognize, is not this transactional thing. It's not that we, we ask Hashem for what we need, and that's what we get. Rather, tshuva was so divinely created, it is exactly as Hashem wants it to be. Hashem created it from the very beginning of time, and therefore it is outside of the realm of all expectations we have. That Hashem can conduct it and does conduct it any way he wants. And therefore, in this first parak of, par- of Sefer Yonah, not much makes sense. But it is so clear that all of it is divinely inspired. Like, I think the most poignant question for me is, why did the sailors care about this specific storm? And the answer is because Hashem made them care about this specific storm. That Hashem wanted them to take note and Hashem wanted them to have to throw Yonah into the ocean and Hashem wanted this series of events to occur. So therefore to remember that tshuva is not something man-made and transactional. Rather, tshuva is something that is a gift that is built into the very fabric of creation that is given to us directly by Hashem. Yonah is giving us this understanding that nothing about this story is typical and in order to understand tshuva, we need to reframe it. So as we conclude with Parak Aleph of Yonah, and we brought out all these questions of all these specifics of why Ninveh, why non-Jews? Why did Yona run away? Why is it that the sailors cared about this specific experience? Don't they have storms every single day? Why did Hashem save Yona? Why did Yona not do tshuva? I think we are forced to call upon and say, this is all clearly being conducted by God so too is our experience with tshuva. That when we engage in tshuva, we are engaging in something outside of the realm of what we can easily understand and imagine. The journey to tshuva is about recognizing that it is truly Hashem in control. And that is the meaning of tshuva, is lashuv, to return to Hashem. Not just to transactionally apologize for what it, for what it is that we've done, but rec- rather to reset ourselves, to remember that Hashem is the one directly running the entire world, including the process of tshuva. So this Elul, as we are engaging in our process of, t- of tshuva, may we remember that this is not a transactional endeavor. This is not something that we are going to just stand there and clap al-chit and Yom Kippur and say al-chit and Hashem is going to forgive us for the Asham news and the Bagad news and the Gazal news. 
Rather, this is a process of like reading Sefer Yonah and internalizing the godliness from within it. This is a journey to recognizing and remembering God's presence in our lives. So Amir Tashem, may we be able to internalize that. And may we be able to use this Elul and this process of Chuba to return to Hashem and to recognizing Hashem in every area of our lives.